This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Eric Berry. Hey! Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. Nate Hopkins. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have a special guest, and that's Vlad Dementiev. Yeah, right. Hi, everyone. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick for folks who don't know um, who you are? Sure. So my name is Vladimir, but yeah, most people call me Vlad. And uh, it's much easier. Uh, I'm working for a company called Evil Martians, and I'm a backend developer officially and the team lead. But nowadays, I'm actually doing a lot of front-end stuff and other kind of work. I've been writing Ruby since, I guess, 2014, so for four years and a half, something. Mm -hmm. And uh, before that, I was an ActionScript developer, PHP developer, JavaScript developer, Erlang developer, and uh, many other things, actually. And right now, I'm mostly Ruby, Golang, and front-end guy. Action script. You don't hear that thrown around too much anymore. <laughs> uh, that's a better version of JavaScript, you know. <laughs> so uh, say that I think have brain damage. So, <laughs> so when um, you know, several years ago, I was playing around with WebSockets using the Face Server and tied it into my Ruby on Rails applications, and that worked really good. And then at one point. Rails release action cable. And that was basically built in WebSockets into the Rails framework. And so I played around with it and I'm actually using that in production on a few of my applications. And everything seems to be working great and fine. And then came along any cable, which is a, and correct me if I'm wrong, Vlad, a drop-in replacement for the action cable engine. So you essentially have the same API or very similar action cable API within your Rails application, but then the actual underlying engine would be different. It would be any cable, and it is a WebSocket engine, and it's able to push out the publish and subscribes for your WebSocket connections. Yeah, something like that, but I'd like to call it not engine because we can confuse uh, with uh, Rails engines because it's not mm -hmm. true. But uh, instead, I call it a server, a different server implementation for Action Cable because we still use most of the code base from Action Cable. So it's channels framework, so all the business logic stuff. But we do not use anything related to WebSockets and connections. And the idea of any cable is to extract this part, this low-level stuff, from Ruby to somewhere else and somehow connect to each other. So that's not a replacement for action cables. That's kind of enhancement. Okay. The goal is not to replace action cable. We love action cable and we use it. But mm -hmm. the goal is to make it more performant, more scalable. Yeah, and reading the blog post on Evil Martins, it definitely has the numbers to prove the scalable and performance side of things, where now it's directly more in competition with some other different kinds of WebSocket servers. So if someone wanted to give any cable a shot, you know, to use their current existing action cable setup, because right now on a lot of my applications within the Nginx server, I will simply just have a different location URL for the cable, like the um, 
I know Fusion Passenger has some setup guides and stuff for Nginx as well, where it'll still launch the Action Cable server. So if you wanted to take a normal run-of-the-mills Action Cable Ruby on Rails application setup, what steps would you really have to go through to convert that over to also use the AnyCable server? Okay, there are a few steps. First, from the code perspective from your application, it's pretty simple. You just have to add a gem to your gem file. So suppose you're using Rails application, so that's going to be any cable Rails gem. And you have to specify how it's called, publish subscribe adapter for action cable, which is in your cable uh, YAML file. And you should specify any cable adapter. And uh, that's actually all you have to do from the code perspective. So you configure your, say, production environment for action cable to use any cable adapter. And yeah, that's, as you mentioned, you have to specify a separate URL for your client to connect to because you're going to run a separate WebSocket server. And um, then the tricky part is from the infrastructure point of view. Because you have to run not one Rails process, Rails server, but at least three different processes. So your usual Rails, Rails server for all the request response stuff, so your API, your web pages, whatever. And uh, you need a WebSocket server, which is kind of separate kind of proxy. It's like just like a Nginx, but for WebSockets, with a little bit uh, of logic for Action Cable. And uh, there are some choices, but actually everyone uses a Golang version of any cable WebSocket server called AnyCable Go because it's much easier to use, just to download the binary and launch, that's it. And the third process is the part which connects these two applications, Rails and Golang applications to each other. It's RPC server built on top of gRPC framework. And it should be run as a separate process because it's, an, it's actually an HTTP server, but an HTTP2 server, which uh, accepts uh, RPC calls from WebSocket server. So, yeah, the tricky part is that you have three processes in your environment, not one with, like with Action Cable. Everything else stays the same. So you continue using your Action Cable channels code and everything else. So this sounds a little bit complicated and a little bit of work, right? So when we're looking at this, when am I going to look at this and go, because right now I'm going, okay, you know, I have, I have a tiny app. Is it worth it? So when, uh, when does it become worth it to yeah, go through all definitely the... Definitely not for the tiny app. And um, so the idea of any cable is to be a replacement, drop-in replacement at the time you need it. So it's compatible with Action Cable mostly. There are some incompatibilities, but for most cases it's compatible. And you can start with Action Cable. And if you hit the limit, so some kind of resources limit, connections limit, whatever... If you need this high-load abilities, you can replace it with any cable. And that means that you don't have to start your cable project from, with any cable from scratch. That doesn't make sense because it will make your setup uh, more complicated. But if you hit the uh, threshold of a large number of connections or messages passing, so you probably can spend some time for infrastructure configuration a little bit more than with Action Cable. And that's what I love about any cable is that you don't need it right away. You use it when it makes sense. And it's a drop-in replacement or drop-in adapter difference. And to me, that's really the way to go. Because as you already said, the infrastructure is more complicated. And when you're just trying to get something off the ground, Overcomplicating your infrastructure with something like any cable when there's not really a need, or adding in something like React JS into your application from the get-go, you know, it's it, it doesn't make sense. Sorry, I yeah. just had a need on React a bit there. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that, that's actually the idea. So uh, the story began when I first heard about Action Cable at the RailsCons 2015. Uh, I was already working on something like that, uh, but, uh, well, more low-level with Erlang server and uh, raw TCP-based uh, RPC protocol. Now well, it's creepy stuff. And when I saw Action Cable, I realized, well, I like that uh, 
Ruby part of it. So it's really Rails' way to handle WebSocket connections, to treat them as kind of real actors in your Ruby application. And I decided to build something on top of what I already have in my previous project and make it scalable because I never believed in Ruby for you know high-load concurrent applications. So I started to working on any cable. Cool. So just to give some metrics on one of my applications, I don't have the number of concurrent WebSocket connections, but over the course of a 24-hour period, we handle 400,000 push events from Action Cable. And this is on a relatively small, you know, sub 8 gigabytes of RAM machine. So it's able to handle quite a bit of workload without having to switch over to any cable. But if that were to increase beyond our limits without upgrading or scaling vertically with our servers, we would have to go to some alternative like any cable. Yeah, you said you had a large number of pushes, uh, but that's not the bottleneck, I think. Uh, the question is how many connections actually you have yeah. and how long-lived are they? So that's the question. Yeah, because the the messages throughput uh, could affect your memory usage. For example, it depends on the message itself, so the size of payloads. So you know, yeah. some people use Action Cable to broadcast uh, something like Turbolinks templates update, like uh, I don't know, like Things Live View feature. Some people use uh, really use Action Cable to transmit HTML partials, and they're pretty large. And rebroadcasting this kind of large messages could consume a lot of uh, unnecessary memory in your Ruby process due to some implementation, I guess, bottlenecks in the action cable, actually. Well, what so, kind of implementation bottlenecks? Uh, there is one thing I discovered about a year ago, maybe two, that action cable, so it's used JSON by default to encode in your messages. In, in theory, it's possible to use other coders, at least there is some support for that, but I guess nobody uses. And uh, the thing is that every message is encoded and decoded for every client, even if we don't need it. And that produces a lot of intermediate temporary objects during the broadcast, which could pr- produce memory bolt of your Ruby process. And uh, it's easy to fix. And I actually edited pull request uh, years ago, <laughs> like with every... Uh, action cable pull requests uh, to fix this to not do double encoding encoding for each message and it with this pull request my benchmarks uh, my high low benchmarks for websockets shows rather good results much better than action cable as it is now uh, but it's still open and it hasn't emerged into master yet but that's one of the problems it's just it's really an implementation kind of bottleneck uh, in action cable this round trip and coding of messages. So from a practical perspective, if if I decide to move a project to any cable, how sounds like there's some ops overhead that I'm going to have to deal with, but how much new code am I going to need to write and port to Go or Erlang or something like that? Do I have to write any of that? No. Um, in most case, you don't have to rewrite anything. So as I said, most of action cable features are supported by any cable out of the box. So we make your... Action cable code thinks uh, that it's working with you know, real sockets, but actually it's going to work with some kind of mock sockets from any cable. That's kind of a, this is Ruby's duct typing feature, which we're heavily using here. So from action cable framework point of view, it thinks that it's working with real sockets, but it's not actually. So you don't have to change your code base. There are some incompatibilities. So we do not support some things that you can do with Ruby's action cable. So for example, in Ruby as an action cable, you deal with persistent objects. So once you initialize your connection, it lives until the client is disconnected. That means that you can use, for example, instance variables to store some data in your channels, in your connection, and operate with them during the life cycle of your connection, which is not possible with any cable because any cable doesn't persist your connection objects. Every time you need to do something with, within your socket, we just create a temporary object, perform operation, and just uh, free it. So there is one caveat. Uh, of any cables. If you use something like that in your channels, then you probably had to rewrite it a little bit. 
And there is a good article. I think I'll provide a link at the end of, to the episode called From Action to Any, not by me or anyone on our team, actually, but from one user of any cable, which describes some hidden pitfalls and caveats uh, when migrating from action cable to any cable. That was a year ago, maybe a little bit more. Now the situation is a little bit better, but there's still some incompatibilities. Uh, hopefully, at RubyConf, uh, announced a new version of any cable, uh, Ruby part, Ruby gems, and we added compatibility checks support. So if you have some code which is not supported by any cable, you either could use Rubicon-based COPS to statically analyze, analyze your code and detect these potential problems, or add runtime checks to raise an exception if you're going to use something which is not supported by any cable. So it's much easier to migrate to any cable right now than a year ago, for example. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. What's, what's uh, uptake been like with any cable? in terms of adoption how how many users are are coming to any cable well i don't have any statistics we have a gitter channel and there are some people using any cable there i met, I met some people at conferences who told me oh we're using any cable it's cool but i don't have any official statistics we use it evil martians right now in two projects and so yeah we're using it i know some people who use it but don't have don't have numbers, unfortunately. I will be glad to know these numbers, actually, but <laughs> no idea. So right now, out of the box with Rails, uh, Action Cable kind of runs in process with your web server. So it's really easy from an ops perspective. It's almost something you don't need to think about. But if you get to the point where you are considering, because Rails allows you to take Action Cable and deploy it separately. if would, Is that the time to consider any cable? Like if you've scaled to the point where vertically scaling the web servers with things running it with action cable running in process doesn't seem like a viable option. So now you're considering deploying on a separate deployment for action cable. Is that the time to reach for any cable? Yeah, that could be a good point because you have to invest in infrastructure. So it's better to do that once and uh, forget about any other improvements for a long time with any cable than to do this intermediate step of extracting action cable process. Yeah, that's that's actually a good point uh, where you should consider any cable as a replacement. And um, the good thing, oh, for example, talking about deployment, oh, nowadays there are plenty of ways you can deploy your application. And the simplest one, Heroku, which is actually for any cable is the most tricky because uh, Heroku doesn't support HTTP2 between dynos. So you, could, you should do something different. And we do have an official way, and actually people use uh, cable in production on Heroku, but that involves a separate copy of your application, which runs a WebSocket server along with RPC server under the same dyno, and a separate application for your Rails app. It's a little bit tricky, but uh, that's, that's actually easier than it could look like. So deploying any cable on Heroku is proved to be, well, working solution. Uh, we at Evo Martians, we're using Kubernetes and Helm charts for that, and it's, it's easy. But we, I, I don't think we published our Helm configurations for any cable yet. That probably, again, <laughs> pending for requests to Helm chart repo with any cable formula, or how would they call it? I don't know. So how was the initial handshake time with any cable? Because I know whenever I spin up a action cable Rails application, just your standard one, there's a slight delay in when it actually upgrades the request to a WebSocket and then makes that connection, the handshaking with all the different channels. So is there any difference with any cable in that sense? With any cable, you first connect to WebSocket server, which is, uh, say, Golang server, and the hand WebSocket handshake itself is pretty fast. And... Uh, it's much faster than with Ruby because uh, the concurrency is better, of course, for example, in Golang server. Then, uh, since uh, our architecture involves RPC calls, uh, we have to call Ruby RPC server to authenticate the connection. And that was my first kind of fear when I, was, I started working on any cable. Wouldn't this be a bottleneck, this RPC connection? Mm -hmm. uh, and it turned out that gRPC, even it's, standard implementation provided by Google, it's really fast. And I have some numbers for number of 
requests per, per seconds you can achieve with uh, RPC server. And it's uh, for any cable, it's uh, about 2,000 uh, requests per second. You can make 2,000 RPC calls per second between WebSocket server and Ruby server. That's for any cable. So with some overhead of creating connection objects and whatever. So it's pretty much. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't think you... So when do you need that, that amount of uh, calls per second? When you have uh, probably uh, dozens of thousands of connections uh, initiating at a time. But that's not a, well, that's, a t that's a, the time then you probably have to scale your any cable infrastructure and uh, provide, add, add some more players into the game. So load balancers for web sockets, for RPCs, whatever. That could be more complicated actually with any cable, but there are some solutions for that. So we're talking about handshake. So my, I have some benchmarks for, not for handshakes actually, uh, I don't have them i only tried them mm -hmm. once years ago uh, but now i have some broadcasting time connection uh, broad uh, benchmarks and they show that the time it takes uh, clients to connect to any cable and send a message and receive back and it's much less than with action cable even if uh, servers are running on different uh, machines but yeah there is that could be bottleneck so um, if you deploy your RPC server and WebSocket server in different machines and depends on network between them so mm -hmm. that could be a problem but you can deploy them on the same machine and that's going to be blazingly fast cool sorry I, I, just to mention actually there is some work in progress for this kind of uh, scenarios when you can avoid calling RPCs, but instead making our business logic within a WebSocket server, so to eliminate RPC. And uh, for that, I'm currently playing with this experimental solution based on top of MRuby, uh, embedded Ruby version. It's kind of tiny Ruby. And it's possible to embed Ruby into Golang, for example. And um, the idea is uh, what we use. So the idea is to get rid of most of RPC calls to make any cable much more faster. And uh, the idea is to move the code from Ruby process, kind of transfer it to Golang process, compile it into an MRuby function, and call within Golang process instead of uh, calling RPC every time. But that's, that could, well, increase the number of actions per second about 10 times more. So that's currently very experimental. <laughs> Uh, no, but no one uses yet. Cool. So, can you define a couple of terms for me? Because uh, we keep hearing concurrency and real time, and I, I swear every time I talk to somebody different about this, they think of it a little bit differently. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Let's start with um, what is real time. What are we talking about? Real time. How it's different from uh, usual way our clients and servers communicate. So. Usually we compare real-time communication to request-response communication. So how our clients connect, consume our REST APIs, GraphQL APIs, whatever. And the difference is that in request-response, we have uh, clients should initiate uh, a request so to get some data from server. So server cannot send data to client without client initiating it. So it's like a you know, table tennis ping pong game when you hit the ball as a client and the server responds you with a response that responds you back with this, some data. And uh, from backend perspective, from our server perspective, uh, when we deal with request response, we actually dealing with a limited number of clients at a time. So we have a limited number of requests uh, in active state in our web server and there is usually some kind of queue where other requests are waiting for their turn. So just first in, first serve queue. And the difference with real-time applications, and the basic example of real-time application is a chat application, messaging, some kind of stuff. So every real-time framework tutorial starts with building a new chat. And the difference here is that you can have many, many clients at a time, and you have to serve them all. But not at the same time, because you can do that uh, for a large number of clients, but concurrently. The difference here is that, that you have a lot of clients, you have to serve them, so give them some data. 
gives them some response. But you have a limited, you still have a limited number of uh, kind of workers, servers, and they just move around every client and send data to each, each one when they pass in by. And this way, the clients are connected persistently. That means that uh, once a request initiated, a WebSocket request, it's not disconnected until client decides to do so, or server decides to, con- to close the connection, and server can send the data uh, to the client by its own without any initiation. So it's like uh, this two client and server connected through a real cable or you know, real tube with data flowing both directions independently. Uh, comparing to request response when you do not have this connection, you only have uh, request send uh, and, and response send back. And uh, that's when we see the concurrency. So we have to deal with a lot of clients connecting to our application, our server, and we'll have to serve them all with some data. And uh, when I say that we have a limited number of servers, it means that, well, usually our machine can execute at the same time the the, uh, code only the number of the processes they have cpus so that's a parallelism so we can execute in parallel only we're limited by the number of uh, our cores our virtual cores or physical cores doesn't matter and the concurrency that means that we can well actually not execute it at the same time but we're trying to switch between uh, our clients as fast as possible to make it looks like we are serving everyone at the same time. Uh, but from the micro perspective, it's not the same time, of course. And uh, that's where we hit uh, some Ruby's limitations. So because uh, right now, uh, parallelism Ruby, uh, well, it's only possible with um, by forking processes, We're actually running a separate Ruby process from the master one, for example, like uh, web, web servers do, such as Puma, mm-hmm. if you use worker-based model. And uh, concurrency is Ruby is kind of limited due to global interpreter lock because you cannot execute Ruby code concurrently at the same time Ruby code. So it's limited by Ruby code execution. So that's how global interpreter lock works. But you still can uh, execute uh, call external kind of stuff like I/O handling, usual, and that's actually the case with WebSocket because you're dealing with raw sockets, which is an example of I/O object, and you can execute, you can send or receive data from multiple sockets at a time, but you still have to handle all this stuff in your Ruby code, which is limited, and that's the place where we hit some kind of limitations of global interpreter lock. So- <laughs> I'm not sure uh, it's, it became clear, sorry. <laughs> Maybe I, I made things complicated. Uh, yeah. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android. And all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot out there as far as the concurrency and parallelism limitations of Ruby. You know, it's it's something that people have been talking about for a long time, especially since um, we're seeing some movement, you know, toward things like Elixir or go or some of these other languages that seem to have a better story around those particular types of problems but ruby 3 is supposed to solve some of these or it's supposed to have some features that make it easier or better or things like that uh do you want to talk about some of those yeah that's that's an interesting question um i've been asked once this question at 
the complete guys to rails performance slack group by net Nate. I, i'm not sure about his last name berkovic uh so he asked me a question so uh, what do you think about ruby free and by free right and how would it affect uh, action cable and uh, in general ruby real-time performance and um, well let's see what are we ha- what are we going to have in ruby free what could help us uh, first of all i guess uh, when we're talking about real-time concurrency parallelism everyone first thinking about guilds that's a new concurrency model for ruby free which is an active development state and uh, well it's not ready yet and uh, sometimes uh, we hear about it as a well that could solve ruby concurrency and dual problems but let's take a more precise look at what guild is uh, first uh, let me remind you what we have right now for kind of what kind of concurrency primitives do we have right now in Ruby? So we have threads uh, and uh, we have fibers. And if we try to draw some relation between a thread and fibers, well, we can say that, well, actually each thread contains a fiber, its main fiber. And fiber is a basic primitive uh, for concurrency in Ruby. And uh, it allows you to execute Ruby code concurrency, but you have to manage all the switching manually so it doesn't have anything for you unlike threads thread threads have some have two main differences from fiber from fibers from concurrency perspective they automatically release the lock the global lock uh, when they hit uh, some io operation and they could also release um, the lock uh, by some timing uh, rules so there is a scheduler for threads which that could switch uh, threads at any time you can predict this time. Uh, that's what makes actually threading programming hard because you don't know at what time uh, what thread is going to be executed. And uh, let's talk about guilds. So we're going to have guilds. Um, guild is a top level from the perspective of thread and fiber point of view abstraction. And actually, as for now, the current proposal. Uh, says that guild would contain at least one fiber, one thread, which in turn contains one fiber. So it's like a, it's actually more close to process, but it doesn't have to copy all the memory or uh, structures into its own. It could use shared memory, but it's closer to uh, processes as it now and then to threads. And what is the problem of having guild, having threads inside and having fiber inside? is that um, we're going to talk about memory, first of all, not about concurrent features. Uh, but because memory is the main problem of real-time applications in Ruby, they consume a lot of memory. And when we talk about guilds, we should consider that uh, if guild contains a thread, and each thread in Ruby, as for now, and for 2.6.2, maybe it's going to change in Ruby 3. But as for now, uh, each thread requires one megabyte of memory just to allocate its step. And that means if you want to use guilds, uh, say, the same way as uh, we use Go routines uh, or Erlang processes in real-time applications, and, uh, and we use them to spawn an Erlang process per connection or Go routine per connection, that means that if we want to have a lot of connections in Ruby and, and running a guild per connection, we actually have to consume a lot of memory, one megabyte of RAM, just to configure a guild for a connection. And it's not the way to solve this problem. So actually, it's going to be much more memory consumption than it is now. So guilds in current version are not helpful a lot to solve this concurrency problem. That could solve uh, forking processes problem. So we don't have to fork processes and we can run uh, dozens of guilds and uh, schedule our connections between them somehow. Yeah, that will definitely be helpful, but uh, it will not solve the main problem. Uh, there is an idea of light guilds uh, announced by Kaichi at RubyConf, the recent RubyConf, but that's just an idea. So the idea, well, everyone wants guilds to be more lightweight. So for now, it's not that. Uh, 
light, right? So we have a thread inside. But uh, maybe the architecture will change in the future and we, we will have guilds as light as uh, Golang routines on our own processes. And as I remember, Go, Go routine's tech size is just uh, two kilobytes comparing to Ruby threads, one megabyte. So it's much less. That's why it's more efficient in terms of memory consumption. Did you say there was some activity around trying to reduce the the memory consumption per thread? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what is the state of this work, but uh, as a recent Ruby Kaigi in Japan, what a talk that proposed uh, a dynamic stack side allocation, so it's kind of shrinking stack, with a, as least as possible initial stack size and ability the stack to shrink in size and time. But this proposal haven't been proposed into Ruby bug tracker yet, uh, where all the work is happening. So I'm not sure whether it's going to be in Ruby free or not. So whether it's just a proof of concept or it was real work on that. So, yeah, that's one of the things that could make uh, guilds more light and threads more light, actually, and could be used to improve concurrency. But this was just one, one, one talk, one proof of concept work. Uh, and haven't been published anywhere, unfortunately, yet. So, Vlad, you had mentioned you, you're kind of spread from back-end to front-end, doing quite a bit of JavaScript front-end work these days, and it, and you had mentioned Phoenix Live View. So I'd, I'd love to kind of shift gears and, and pick your brain about what, what do you think about that in terms of the modern um, JavaScript stack these days and replacing it with a solution like Live View? Uh, that's an interesting question because um, I haven't tried uh, live view. I just uh, so talk about it, presentation and the idea, and it's uh, it's interesting. But I'm not sure it's gonna happen as a standard for any popular except except from the Phoenix probably world. Uh, nowadays, front end developers tend to build their complex applications using React and other stuff, and they won't switch to this kind of server-side rendering with pure HTML, uh, like, like Live View. Uh, I don't believe in that, unfortunately. Uh, I'm a kind of older JavaScript developer, so I haven't been doing JavaScript for a couple of years until recently when I'm just playing with some new things like Stimulus, by the way. And... Uh, server-side uh, with rendering with some kind of interaction with a little sprinkles of JavaScript. But uh, as I see in our teams and, uh, and among other front-end developers, they don't want to switch back to this server-side rendering plus some kind of uh, JavaScript interaction stuff. They would better build everything in the React components and that's complex things I don't get a lot. So that could be a good uh, idea for mostly full-stack teams focused on more back-end side, though they can do front-end quickly. But I haven't heard of such teams for a long time. So we and Itaewa Martians, we do have strict division between front-end developers and back-end developers. We do not have full, even full-stack. That's why I haven't been doing front-end for a while. And so and we're definitely not going to use this kind of uh, technology, and uh, I'm not sure it's going to be popular, unfortunately. So modern JavaScript kind of won the war of uh, front-end for most of the applications. Yeah, my, it, it seems like I mean, one of the core tenets of Rails, if you look at the Rails doctrine, is uh, it talks about how empowering small teams to compete with those larger teams where you split those responsibilities, right? It's It's still kind of in this full-stack developer worldview of let's empower a small group to compete with these larger teams. And the, the server-side rendering, uh, especially if it was piped over a WebSocket, seems like it fits right within that model of let's, let's, let's let these, this small group be incredibly productive and effective, right? So I, it does seem like it's going to be a niche thing, especially with everyone so heavily invested in their you know, whatever flavor of framework or front end or back end they, they want to work in uh, and, and the separation of responsibilities. But uh, yeah, I, I have high hopes to, to keep small teams competitive 
Yeah. So that's actually the idea of Rails and Ruby itself, uh, like to build some, to try and uh, fail maybe. It's it's good for a start, but the current situation, as I see it in the development world, uh, even small teams, small startups, uh, which just starting, they uh, they heard a lot of good stuff about, uh, they read a lot of good stuff on, in the internet about front-end frameworks, and they do not consider this uh, old-school approach as something uh, to build their new applications, unfortunately. Although I, I also agree that it's much easier and faster to build uh, everything in a good old way with server-side rendering. But uh, usually it's not something that, you know, investors and stakeholders think that it's a good idea because eventually you have to move to front-end framework if everything works out. But so that's why I think most of people started with front-end framework from scratch. And maybe some of them regret about it, but <laughs> we don't know about it. Yeah, for that to be viable, it's got to have a, a, a good solution like early uh, or any cable or Phoenix, somebody's got, or, or Golang, some, some backend technology that, that has a great story around parallelism and concurrency. Uh, another thing here that, you know, wh why I'm working on front-end side right now. So we are working on admin functionality for our application. So it's not uh, something like user-facing, but uh, we want to build something fast and mostly with the help of backend developers. So we were initially looking for uh, server-side rendering in some UI framework, uh, kind of a set of components, CSS, to start with, not to bother with even with CSS. And it turned out that most of the UI frameworks nowadays, they are built for some particular front-end uh, framework or library. Uh, most of them are React-based or Vue-based or Angular-based. And you cannot find anything good uh, for you just to write good old HTML and CSS. You have to add this kind of framework. This kind of force you to use framework if you want, even for this simple cases. Now that's kind of surprised me. So I ended up with uh, adding some view-based framework for my, because it's much simpler than anything else. But it turned out that there's dozens of solutions uh, for framework-based UI and uh, only a few for just the pure HTML and CSS. And that's kind of a, I know, the cycling the problem. So we cannot just easily build HTML-based solution uh, uh, projects with something with ready-to-go UI frameworks. We have to choose some JavaScript tool for that. You mentioned you'd been experimenting with stimulus. How has that been? Comparison? <sighs> yeah. Well, uh, stimulus reminds me. Uh, my own framework I've built it before I started working on own Martians. So I was kind of a full stack developer and for a long time I'm on the developer on this project. And uh, the idea of stimulus, so kind of adding some HTML attributes and uh, may add some interaction to your HTML. And actually, it's not new. So it's built with new technologies like Mutation Observer, which is used by Stimulus, is really good. Those days when I was working on JavaScript, uh, there were not such things. So we have to in reinvent some other ways to do that. But actually, I like the idea of making uh, some parts of HTML more interactive. And it's and the Stimulus doing this, uh, well, right and good. And it was not, it was really easy to set up and run it. and. Um, I like it, so I'm continuing to use it. Maybe I'm going to add Turbolinks. I'm not sure. Never use them. So Plus one yeah. for Turbolinks. I'm, I'm a fan of Turbolinks. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I think the time I started working on Rails, Turbolinks for something, uh, the thing that can break anything uh, unacceptably, unexpectedly, and uh, I just turned off. Uh, every time I use it, because I didn't want to learn Turbolinks, to be honest, and um, and that was about Turbolinks two, I think, not that good as Turbolinks five. And uh, now I'm thinking about adding Turbolinks back to the stack and finally learn how to use Turbolinks uh, and yeah, that's the, being afraid that's of the, it. That's the interesting thing about Turbolinks is I think it was kind of a marketing fail uh, because it came on 
turned on default in rails. Everyone just had the expectation that it would just work, <laughs> but you have yeah. to invest, you have to invest just as much time or, well, I shouldn't say just as much, but you do have to invest time to learn um, how to use it and how to use it properly. Right. It's not just a turn it on and everything's magic. It's you have to invest a little bit of time to understand the tool and learn it which is interesting because you see all these other developers will move to a, a, a stack like React and they're, they have this understanding, well, that's going to be a long process. You know, we're, gonna, we're investing a year of our team's time to go learn this. We're going to send them to training and do all these things to learn this stack. Yet Turbolinks is expected to just work without any investment from the developer. <laughs> but I, again, I think that's a marketing fail from the, from, you know, how it was pitched early on. Yeah. I think we didn't have any good, um, I don't know, guide or how to for Turbolinks. And we had a lot of uh, stack overflow and other resources, questions about Turbolinks with answers, just remove Turbolinks. You know, that's a bad reputation. <laughs> unfortunately. Well, anything else we want to jump on as far as any cable action cable, performance, real-time, concurrency, buzzword, 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 buzzword. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, if we'd like to continue Ruby-free topic, uh, there is one, uh, two actual things I'd like to mention. So we considered guilds, and as I see right now, guilds are not suitable for concurrency, and then not meant to be. But uh, there is one more thing in this uh, party of guild, thread, and fiber, uh, which is don't have a final name actually, but uh, we can call it Auto Fiber or Threadlet. It's something in between fiber and thread, and uh, the difference is that uh, it's it's like a fiber, but it switches automatic automatically on I/O. So uh, it doesn't have a scheduler. It's cannot switch uh, on time like thread and unexpectedly, but it it's much lightweight, so it's. It's like a fiber, so it's not a thread. And it's a good primitive for building concurrent applications. And uh, an example of usage of this uh, pattern is a, as a family of uh, tools uh, from Socketry. I know it's an organization, a company, whatever. So it's a GitHub organization called Socketry. And they had a bunch of... Uh, Libraries, uh, the core library is called async, and uh, some async like uh, adapters for different uh, things like uh, database adapters, WebSocket implementation, and they have their own uh, web server called Falcon, and it's based on top of fibers. Probably you heard about this, uh, it's pretty popular blog post from the recent two weeks called, uh, I don't remember this, the topic. There, there were a lot of, actually, posts regarding fibers uh, recently. But one uh, which mentions how we can build uh, web servers using fibers more efficiently. And uh, they have some benchmarks for HTTP, which uh, looks really good. And they use their own implementation of other fiber, they fork of Ruby. It haven't been merged yet, but I think it's going to be in the next version. 2.7 because the work is almost done and um, I hope it's going to be merged. And Fiber is actually what we're going to use in the future, as I think, for real time and concurrency in Ruby. So to finish this uh, concurrency in Ruby free part of this show, I think it's how I see the real time application, concurrent application and Ruby free. So it's a combination of guilds for parallelism. So for using as much CPU resources as possible. So to utilize all your resources from the one process. And uh, all the fibers to handle concurrent uh, actors that's going to exist. But that's going to be, well, in 2020, maybe. At the end of 2020, actually, as Matt said recently. And another thing not related to concurrency, but related to heavy memory usage of um, real-time applications, so I already told that, uh, for example, Action Cable and all other existing solutions, uh, as I see, they use uh, persistent long-lived objects to store connection state. So just your connection 
object, an action instance from the Ruby perspective is a long-lived object, which, uh, which is not you know, dying fast, like, unlike a request response cycle when you just all the objects live in the terms of this request response. And uh, what the problem with this? Um, the problem is that it's just like my hypothesis. It's haven't been <laughs> proved yet, but I have some small amount of time to benchmark this stuff. But as I see, um, when you run an action cable application for a long time with a medium level stress, so not hundreds of thousands, but maybe thousands of connections, connecting, disconnecting, some live minutes, some live seconds, and so on. And uh, if you take a look at your memory uh, after running this kind of test, uh, you can see that it's really, really high fragmented. So there is memory fragmentation issue related to this uh, long-lived objects because Ruby generational garbage collector relies on generational hypothesis like uh, in many other runtimes languages where generational garbage collection is used, which says that uh, most objects die young. That means that uh, if an object survived as and I don't remember, three or four cycles in Ruby, it's moved into major part of heap. I don't remember the, the name of it. So where all the objects, uh, all objects leave, and uh, it's assumed that uh, these all objects likely not going to be freed at any time. That's why a garbage collector doesn't try to check them at every cycle. And that means that long-lived objects, when they die, they are not young objects, they are old objects. And we do not free this memory from Ruby heap immediately or as fast as it could be, uh, only on the major cycles. And that produces these uh, gaps in uh, memory heap, which from the other side leads to memory blow because Ruby needs to allocate uh, more memory pages because it thinks that this memory slots are still occupied, but actually they're not. That's just a my hypothesis. And uh, related to Ruby Free, probably everyone heard about work of Aaron Patterson on compacting GC, which could solve this issue and uh, free this memory and compact this compact memory and well, produce more uh, space for new objects. And maybe I'm not I'm not sure about it. So this kind of it's not the stuff I'm very familiar with. Uh, so this memory management from Ruby, but that's just a suggestion how Ruby free could improve this situation. Cool. So, yeah, I think that's most of the thing about Ruby free and that's what it's going to be in two years. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anything else, gang? Anything else we should talk about? All right, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, before we do that, though, Vlad, um, how do people find you online? You blog somewhere? Yeah, so I think the easiest way is to GitHub. Uh, my handle is Pelkan, P-A-L-K-A-N. And, uh, and uh, almost the same handle on Twitter. It's Pelkan underscore Tula, T-U-L-A. And the same handle on Dev2 when I'm trying to write some short posts. But uh, from time to time, I actually get a backlog of posts to write, but haven't had time. And I'm writing uh, in our Evil Martians blog um, most of the time. So all the big stuff is going to Evil Martians blog. So you can check it and find me there. And if you're in New York City or around, you can find me in Brooklyn. I'll be glad to discuss it anything actually life nice all right well let's go ahead and do some picks is your job search stuck maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers or maybe you are but no job offers or you may be new and not even know where to start this is charles maxwood and i'm releasing a new course an ebook on how to find a job as a software developer the course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for getting their attention and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Uh, Dave, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, sure. I have one pick. So I'm really 
peculiar about cleaning my car. And the one thing that I hate about cleaning my car more than any is doing the windshield because it's just very awkward to try up there to reach and clean the inside. So I got one of those like as seen on TV things. And it's like the first time I've ever bought one and actually liked the product. So it is the invisible glass. And it's basically just like a little duster, you know, those little French duster things, but it has a little pad that you, you know, attach on instead. And it gives you that really nice reach to get the full windshield. So it's like $14 and it, you know, makes me want to clean the inside of my windshield so I can see at night. Nice. Eric, do you have some picks for us? Uh, yeah, I just got one. Uh, the only pick that I have today is um, a new set of headphones that my wife bought me from Costco. And these headphones are Bose, uh, Quiet Comfort, not two, but one. And the Quiet Comfort 2 is pretty dang nice because it's got Alexa built in, but they are over ear. They don't bother your ears at all. And they are for connecting to multiple devices, so I can have it connected to both my phone and my computer in time. And it is an extremely well-made machine that does uh, uh, noise cancellation. So I've been very impressed with them. Yeah, I got it at Costco. So uh, that's my pick. I have to second that. Those are really nice. Yeah, I actually got the exact same ones that I think uh, Nate has had for quite a while. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, Nate has all the cool toys, right? Mm. <laughs> Nate, do you have some picks for us? I do. I've got two picks, just because we touched on it today. Uh, if, if folks haven't read the Rails Doctrine, uh, I highly recommend uh, going there and just kind of seeing uh, what, what values um, the Rails core team is promoting with the framework and what the goals of the framework are. Uh, essentially, empower, you know, to, long story short, it's about empowering small teams, but it's a fantastic read. Um, I remember as a consultant, um, I was actually reprimanded at one point because I completed the uh, uh, a contract that they anticipated would last for six months. I finished it in two weeks because I used Rails and I was reprimanded uh, that I could not finish my work that quickly. Um, <laughs> just, just due to the long sales cycle, uh, but uh, no, it's it, and for me that's a testament to to kind of the goals of of the project, and so uh, I would recommend that read. And the other one is, um, if you enjoy plays, there's a, a, a version of Newsies on Netflix that was it's a Broadway production of Newsies, and it's absolutely fantastic. And those are mine. Nice. All right, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Yeah, I I think what I'm going to pick this time, so there are a couple of things. One is, is uh, if you want to hear me talk about like how I'm building devchat.tv every week, you can go to entreprogrammers.com. Um, it's like the blend of entrepreneurs and programmers. Anyway, um, if you're having trouble spelling it, that's why I'm spelling that out. But anyway, so um, we decided to do a challenge this last week. Um, and, uh, basically the challenge was to get eight Pomodoros done before noon every day this week. And we put a little bit of money on the line too. So any day that you miss that, you have to fork over 25 bucks, the other guys. Anyway, I didn't want to have to explain to my wife why, why I was, uh, giving a hundred dollars to my friends. So I, I've been doing it and I'm pretty tired because like today we record Ruby Rogues at 10 um, elixir mix at 11 30 and so i had to get the pomodoros done before we started recording today and so i got up at four in the morning this morning and did it and so yeah anyway so yeah you can imagine i'm a little bit tired but the flip side of it is is that it's just so nice to get just get stuff done uh the tool that i've been using so i'm going to pick the pomodoro technique and then i'm also going to pick um there's a tool it's called kanban flow and uh as you can probably guess it's a kanban tool it's kind of like Trello, uh, but it's got a built-in Pomodoro timer. And I've been using a technique uh, that was put together by, by my friend who's also on Entreprogrammers, uh, John Sanmez. And I'll put a link to his video. But uh, he basically spells out, so he has a column for each day of the week. 
And then um, he basically puts in what he's going to get done that day. And then he just makes sure that he runs enough Pomodoros against those things um, to feel good about it. And anyway, that's been really, really helpful for me. So I'm going to pick that. Um, And then I also just want to remind people that we are doing a webinar about um, mastermind groups. And we're going to be doing that on January 3rd. If you go to mastermindhunt.com slash devchat, uh, you can get in on that. Um, Essentially, what we're going to be talking about, because mastermind groups are usually focused around business, but these are focused around helping each other stay current and train and learn and all that stuff. So anyway, um, just going to throw all that stuff out there, I guess. Uh, Vlad, what are your picks? Okay. Uh, I think I'd like to mention just one thing. It's a blend of code competition or whatever. So I just started to take part in it this weekend and I'm trying to sell these bottles with Rust and Ruby along to each other just to compare uh, how it's going to look like in two different languages. I haven't tried this before, uh, but it looks very interesting idea. So, Yeah, I, I was disappointed I missed Advent of Code last year and I need to put these things on my calendar to check them out before they start again because I'm missing it again. <laughs> Go figure. It's like NaNoWriMo, right? I was in the middle of writing my nonfiction book and it was like, <laughs> so yeah, so NaNoWriMo is going to be January for me, I guess. Um, but yeah, anyway, thanks for coming, Vlad. Thank you for having me. I was glad to be here. Yeah, it was, it was fun to chat, fun to talk about. And I'd love to get you back and talk about, uh, you know, the structure of gems and how you approach that stuff. Sure. Anytime you want. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we will catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.